It's Thanksgiving week, and I wanted us to just stop out of our Matthew series and, and focus on being thankful people. Let's follow a line of logic. Let's begin over here at the beginning, and let's remind ourselves that we are a blessed people. Would you agree with me on that? That Fellowship Bible Church is a blessed group of people. God has blessed us. Well, let's take a step forward in our logic then. If we are a blessed people, wouldn't you say that it's logical that blessed people ought to be very much recognized as thankful people? If we're so blessed, then it ought to come then that we are thankful people, grateful people. I think we are for the most part. So what I want to remind us of today is this important priority of Christ-likeness, of having grateful hearts and then demonstrating it through our generosity. Let's run our line of logic one step further. If we are such a blessed people and blessed people are identified as grateful and thankful people because of all that God has done for them, don't you think that it makes sense then that the next step in our line of logic would be that we would be characterized as a generous people? Blessed people are thankful people. Thankful people recognize what they have and they share it with others and they are characterized by generosity. Now if you stop and think about it, it follows then that in our generosity we are actually just reflecting the character of Christ and the attribute of God. God is a giving God. I mean, think about the most common Bible verse that we know, it identifies God as a generous God. For God so loved the world that He what He gave. God is a giving God. He gave His only begotten Son. Is He, is he a God who gives inexpensive gifts that cost Him nothing? Or is He characterized as a generous God who gives extravagantly for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's a pretty expensive gift. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift from a generous God. Well, I want us to, to let our minds churn here a little bit this morning about this idea of how blessed we are. And that if we're blessed, then we are going to be grateful people. That's the reminder of Thanksgiving week here. And it's a reminder that the Apostle Paul gave the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to always be thankful and in everything to give thanks. Believers in the Lord Christ are to be characterized as grateful people. And then following that, we end up on a line of logic into a circular logic. And that is this point that if grateful people are generous people, it is most inter interesting then that one of the greatest, if one of the greatest evidences of a grateful heart is generosity, it's interesting then to realize that generosity is one of the surest paths to a grateful heart. So now we run our line of logic into a circle of logic. That is, if we're going to be generous, if we're going to be grateful, we're going to be generous. And as we're generous, we're going to be grateful. And as we're grateful, we're going to be generous. And as we're generous, we're going to be more grateful. Isn't that interesting how that works? You really wouldn't think it would work that way. So what I want us to do in the few minutes we have remaining is I want us to take our notes and I want us to track together in a, a topical message today. And I want us to think about being thankful people 
who express our gratitude through generosity. And I want us to recognize together this dynamic of the joy of generosity. I don't know if you think of giving as a privilege, but it really is. The joy of generosity. If you'll follow along in your notes, I've tried to outline some basic thoughts. Most of them are principles. Uh, The principles that have to do with generous living. Biblical principles of generous living. You'll notice that I made an acrostic out of the word generous for organizing our thoughts as we just think about this topically this morning. First of all, as I've already emphasized in our introduction, I want you to see that God, letter G, God loves generosity. Not only is God generous, but God loves generosity. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and let's proof text this. Let's see for ourselves as the Apostle Paul gives instruction to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. I want you to see what Paul says here. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Okay, so giving is personal. You decide in your heart how you're going to give. All right? It is personal. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That is, you should not be forced into giving. There should not be any kind of exterior compulsion, external compulsion, that is in any way a negative kind of thing. It is to be something that is generated from the joy of your own heart and the privilege of giving. That's why we often say here, as we have so many different things to give to, from shoeboxes to building funds and everything in between, we, we often remind you, only give if you have joy in your heart to give. It's okay not to give if you're not prepared in your heart to give at that point. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For why? For God loves a cheerful giver. There it is. God loves it. He notices when we give cheerfully. What a remarkable concept. You'll notice that there are some parentheses on each of our points today. And these are simply representative of some themes or some dynamics that relate to each of these points that came to my mind as we put this topical study together. He loves a cheerful giver. What's that talking about? In parentheses, write the word attitude. What we're dealing with here is the attitude with which we give. It really matters. God cares about the attitude with which we give. God loves generosity. He loves a cheerful giver. Point number two, under letter G, maybe not the best grammar, but he himself, speaking of God, he himself is generous. And if you look at 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, you should have your Bible open there still. Look across the page to chapter 8 and look at verse 9 where it's speaking about God's generosity demonstrated in the generosity of Christ. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Isn't that interesting? That God demonstrated His own heart of generosity through this whole aspect of Christ, His Son, born into the riches of all that the Father had, an equal heir with the Father of all these riches, identified with all of the riches and wealth of all eternity, past and present and future. 
And our Lord Jesus humbled himself and became willing to be poor so that we could become rich. He took our sin upon himself so that he could give away his righteousness to us so that we could stand in a position of, of just holiness before God the judge. What a remarkable concept. So God himself is generous. You can look up the other verses. You're going to have to do that this morning as we're going to have to skate through this a little bit. I think you'll get the point well. Um, and it's not that hard to understand these points. And I think it would be beneficial for you to tuck this paper in your Bible. And this week of Thanksgiving, uh, take and look up these verses and remind yourselves of these principles of how thankful people are generous people and what God says about generosity. So God loves generosity. He loves a cheerful giver. He himself is generous. But what's interesting is that he tracks even our smallest acts of kindness. He tracks or he records even our smallest acts of kindness. You might want to hold your hand or put your paper in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because we're going to reference this part of the Bible again. But let's just quickly glance over at Matthew chapter 10 verse 42. And let me show you what I mean by this, that God tracks or keeps track of even our smallest acts of kindness. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Notice this verse, and it's indicative of a concept that I think is very real. He talks about, beginning with verse 40 in Matthew 10, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Verse 42 is the key verse. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, what's he talking about here? And you can let your Bible go back open to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. There's a couple other verses there that reference this concept of giving a drink of cold water in the name of Jesus, that God notices that. He records that. He makes record or note of the fact of every act of kindness. You will not lose your words. I think that it's um, Randy Alcorn in his excellent little book called The Treasure Principle, where he's talking about this idea of God noticing even the little things that we do in his name, in the name of generosity, out of a, a heart of gratitude for what God has done in our own lives. And he talks about uh, creating this mental image of an angel in heaven who's sitting at some big desk with a scroll and he's up there writing down people's names and at the end of their name, he's writing all the little things that they do in Jesus' name. Oh, looky there. They just gave a missionary a $10 bill to go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. Going to write that down. Oh, looky there. They just helped stay up all night long to watch over the homeless people so that they had a warm place to sleep. And so it goes, and there's an angel in heaven with a pen. It's got to be one of those big quills with a feather and a big inkwell and a big scroll. And he's writing how embarrassing to get to heaven and have your name on the scroll of remembrance, that God remembers even the kindest act. And maybe, maybe our name's there. Maybe there's just a few things jotted down. That God notices, God records, God is tracking even the kindest small event. That should motivate us. It also indicates to us that God loves generosity. Letter E, giving generously will force us to examine our core values. It will expose and force us to examine our core values. 
The principle here for giving is to examine your core values. What this is in parentheses is a look at our heart. It's a look at our heart. What's going on in your heart? In the, in the core value center, the command center of your life, where your core values are established. What's going on in your heart? What do we mean by this? Well, for example, if you're going to give, and you're going to give generously, number one, it will test your love for your neighbor. Certainly, loving my neighbor as myself is one of the core values of my Christian living, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were in Matthew uh, chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, we spent some time looking at that concept. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command? The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and might. And then Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but let me remind you that the, the second greatest command is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly one of the core values of the Christian life is to love God with all of our heart. That's a vertical relationship. And then in turn to love my neighbor as myself. That is that as I see my neighbor, I am willing to give to him in the same way I would give to myself. We've illustrated this in the past many times. It is often most tested when somebody wants a bite of your dessert. Do I really love my neighbor that much? And that's a test of our core values, isn't it? There it is. Giving generously will test the core value of whether I love my neighbor as myself. Secondly, and closely related to it, is it will test the core value of our love for things over people. The core value of our lives would be that people are more important than things. Shouldn't that be a core value of Christianity? People are more important than things. You'll find out whether things are more important than people once you start giving away your things. This is illustrated in Scripture as well, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 19, that familiar passage that we call the story of the rich young ruler. Remember that young man came running to Jesus and he asked that most important question. Rabbi, teacher, how can I know that I'm going to have eternal life? What a good question. How do I know that I have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says... I'll tell you what, here's what you do. You keep the commands, and he rattles off some of the Ten Commandments. Remember that story? And the young ruler looks at Jesus, and he wipes his brow, and he says, Phew, good, because I've kept them all since I was a boy. And Jesus says, good, then if you've kept them all since you were a boy, now go, sell everything you have, give your money to the poor, and come and follow me. And the guy looks at him and says, wait a minute. And sometimes we get the funny idea that, that Jesus is somehow explaining some quirky formula of salvation. And have we done that? Am I uh, sell my stuff, uh, give my money to the poor, and then come to church and live for Jesus the rest of my life at church or something, and then I get to heaven? That's not what Jesus was doing at all. Jesus was simply testing this guy's core value. Did he love things more than people, or did he love people more than things? Because he was proving to him that he did not keep the command since he was a boy, as he claimed to do, because he was showing by his love for things that he did not love his neighbor as himself. He did not love the Lord as God with all his heart because when we love the Lord our God with all our, our hearts, it is demonstrated by our love for people and our love for people literally demonstrates our love for God. It works both ways, doesn't it? Do you remember how the young man responded to Jesus? It says that he went away sad because he had great wealth. He loved what was in his garage 
more than he loved God. He loved what was in his basement more than he loved his neighbor. And he didn't pass the core value test of giving something away to prove whether he loved things more than people. Thirdly, and I'm not going to preach on this too much because that touches too close to my life. And I avoid things that I get convicted about. Um, since I control the message outline, I'll just avoid the things that I'm guilty of, right? Um, not true. I, I often say that I preach best when I'm preaching at myself. And I do need this point. What about our natural tendency to hoard? Our natural tendency to hoard. How much stuff do we really need? Do, do I really need another shed to put more stuff in? When I don't even know what's in the shed I have? Literally? I have a shed on the corner of my property. If you open the doors, you cannot get in it. And so I only use what's right in the front of it. That's it. I don't remember what's in the back of it. How much stuff do we really need? We are really vulnerable to this point of just collecting to the degree of what is beyond reasonable in our lives. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a little seashell collection, okay? You little girls and boys that have your little collection and you can have matchbox cars. I don't know how many of those you need either, but I think you know what I'm saying. It's just this unreasonable, insatiable appetite to have just more. Except when it comes to rifles. Just saying. Can't have a gun safe too big. This is one of the conversations we've been involved in at my house. Why do you need another one? I'll, I'll meditate on this point. Maybe if I give one away, I can buy two more. Letter N. You need to understand a principle of giving generously that is very important is that it is not based on what we have. It is not based on what we have. This, by the way, is the dynamic of faith. The dynamic of faith in our lives. Are you willing to live by faith? Or are you only living by what you can see and hold and hold on to in your own lives? We'll not take time to read it. If you were you reopened your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it would be verses 1 through 7 of chapter 8. Let me just tell you what Paul's talking about there. He is challenging the Corinthian believers by the example of the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia have demonstrated that they are willing to give generously even out of their poverty. And he's pointing out to the Corinthian believers that you need to be like them. That out of their poverty they gave and it filled their hearts with joy and it filled our hearts with joy. The idea is that if you wait until you have enough to give, you might never give. You need to start now giving. You say, Pastor Man, I don't have enough. I'm too poor. You're not too poor. The Lord will show you how to give and what to give and who needs it. And by the way, when is the last time any of us in this room ever gave out of our poverty? Uh, isn't one of the first questions we ever ask ourselves when it's time to give something is I wonder if I have enough left over in my budget then I can give. We give surplus giving, don't we? We do surplus giving. We don't do poverty giving. That's not to, I, I don't know, maybe you do. I know in my life, that's one of the first questions I ask. Well, where are we in the budget? And I'm not promoting irresponsible living. But I'm promoting saying, what does this look like? And even if you're poor, 
you don't wait. It's not based on what you have and your potential. This is faith giving. Letter E. Encourage and refresh joyfully. This has to do with the privilege. The privilege of giving, in parentheses there. The dynamic of the privilege of giving. Encourage and refresh joyfully. What I want you to see here is that as you give generously, you will find that it brings encouragement and refreshment. Not only to the recipient, but also to the giver. Number one is the recipient. Let's let our eyes look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you will be enriched in every way. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you see the connection of generosity and thanksgiving? If we're generous people, we will, we will promote thanksgiving. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that as you give, and you give to us, and then we take the offering to this poor church, we meet their needs and we give it to them, they break out in a worship service of thanksgiving to God for your abundant blessing and generous gift. Isn't that interesting? That my generosity creates thanksgiving. And then people who are thankful are generous. And so the windshield wiper effect takes place or the circular reasoning. I'm generous. It creates thanksgiving. Thankful people are generous people. They give. It creates thanksgiving. Thankful people are generous people. And the wheel goes round and round. The recipient is refreshed and encouraged. But not only that, the giver. The giver is refreshed and encouraged. Let's quickly flip to the Old Testament. And... Um, Let's look at Proverbs chapter 24. Excuse me, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 as an example. You need to look up the rest, and I hope you will follow through with some personal Bible study on your own this week. Let the Spirit of God use the concepts here to challenge you. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. There it is. This idea of giving and then God gives back. That's in 2 Corinthians right above where we just read. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10, it says that God gives the seed. And then as you plant the seed, God gives more seed. It's interesting. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. So it backfires. If I'm going to hoard and hold back, it actually withholds God's blessing on my life. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The ESV says, the NIV says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. What an encouraging concept that as I give generously, the recipient is encouraged and refreshed, but so am I as the giver. It's remarkable. Many of you know that feeling, don't you? You know what it is to give and to walk away, sometimes even in confidential giving. There is a principle of the left hand not even knowing what the right hand is doing. And you're not doing it for show, and you're not doing it. The Lord has just put it on your heart to be a blessing, and you've done it, and you walk away, and you have a peace, and that angel up in heaven with the big feather quill and the inkwell writes it down. And God records and tracks your giving. And you walk away, and you know you've done what the Spirit of God has led you to do. 
We need to recognize the needs, don't we? If we're going to be givers, we need to recognize the needs. This is self-explanatory. In 1 John chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there right now, the idea is that if I see my brother in need and I harden my heart against that need, the love of Christ is not in me. But if the love of Christ is in me and I recognize my brother or sister is in need, I will respond to that need. I need to notice the needs. This is the overriding principle of love and kindness. In parentheses there, love and kindness Recognize the needs. Oh, order your life for giving. Order your life for giving. Put your life in order so that you can become a giver. The dynamic here is the dynamic of a surrendered life. Uh, The principle of living a surrendered life. That God owns me. God owns my stuff. And I yield it all to Him. And I'm going to live my life in such a way so that I can give that to Him. That my stuff doesn't own me. God owns my stuff that He's let me be a steward of and I get to distribute it. To order our lives for giving, number one, we need to get out of debt. They say, yeah, Pastor Van, I've been trying to do that. Well, we need to work on it. You begin to work on it with the pure motive not to become more wealthy, but to simply become a giver and you watch God begin to do a work. When we offer Financial Peace University again, be in that class. They will show you how to start with the little debts and pay off the little debts and then add to that next debt and the next debt and let the snowball effect take place. Get out of debt so that I can be a giver. So many of us are in bondage to the people whom we owe. Can I tell you that debt-free living here at Fellowship Bible Church has, has proven to be blessed of God It's a blessing of God, and He has proven to bless us through. We have no debt at Fellowship Bible Church. We try to pay as we go, even for the building. We're going to try to pay cash for the building, and it won't be too many weeks. You're going to see a picture of the building here, of what's happening. Good things are happening. You know that we would not be able to take one of our important, valuable resources in Pastor Everett and Ann and literally give them away for six months fully paid, if we were not debt free, we would not even be able to consider that. Because we're debt free, we can make decisions to do things that God might put on our hearts that we didn't see coming. You can live your life in the same way. Get out of debt. Secondly, can I encourage you to give regular offerings? Give regular offerings. 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul in verses 1 and 2 talked to the Corinthian believers that on the first day of the week they should come and give what they had stored up that week to give to the Lord. Give regularly. I know that maybe some of you give sometimes, but I want to challenge you to give regularly in a systematic way. It might be monthly or bi-weekly, but are you building into your life the regular giving to God as an act of worship? Watch the Lord bless because of that. It's not magic. It's not some kind of a handle that opens up the the magic hatch from heaven so that he pours out everything on you that you want. But the idea is that you honor God with the first fruits of what he's given you. And he continues to give in return. Order your life for giving. Get out of debt. Give regularly to offerings. Number three, don't waste. Don't waste. I think that when God has abundantly blessed us and we waste what He's given us, it is, if not a sin, it has to be close to a sin. To waste resources for no good reason 
when God has given it to us? Order your life so that you can capture the value of what you're wasting and give it away. And I'm not even a big recycler. Undermine materialism. Undermine materialism with generous giving. This is the idea of contentment. This is a dynamic of contentment. We'll not turn there. We're going to wrap up right, right shortly. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, talks about those who are wealthy. And it talks about a warning that the love of money will, will get us in all kinds of trouble and that this drive for more and for wealth and hoarding will pierce us through like a, like a spear piercing us through. And we undermine our tendency to live materialistically by being generous and by giving it away. You want to prove that things don't have a hold on you, give it away. You want to prove that you're not a lover of money, give it away. S. Store up, in, store up treasure in heaven. This is, this is an eternal value system. This is eternal values. As store up treasure in heaven. You can look up these verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Matthew 6 says. Where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You have figured out, haven't you, that you don't get to take your stuff with you into eternity? You know that, right? One of the great privileges of my life, it's a humbling privilege... It doesn't happen very often, but it has happened multiple times in 21 years where I have been present at the bedside of one of our dear saints who has entered into glory in the presence of the Lord. And I'm with the family, and then they come to receive the body. And I help carry them down the hallway and out and load them into the funeral home van that's taking them away. You know, never once, never once has anybody gone into a panic, gone into the kitchen, get a Walmart plastic bag, and started scraping stuff off the top of the dresser, pulling open dresser doors and stuffing bags and running out and put them in the back of the van with the body. The body goes by itself. You don't take any of it with you. You don't take any of it with you. It is all left behind. And one of the remarkable things is, is you can send it ahead by giving it away when God shows you how to give it away. For His work, for His glory, for the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you going to do? And I'm going to warn you something. Some of you with big collections. And this includes myself. Your kids are just going to get rid of it. The kids are going to get rid of it. They don't want it. If it isn't worth much to them, out the door. And the very things that you collected and put on shelves and dusted for 39 years, it's gone. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. I'm saying, why do you have it? And are we working hard to send it ahead? Let's work our logic again. We've been blessed. Do you agree with me? We've been blessed? We've been blessed beyond measure, people. Of all people in the world, we're blessed. Therefore, no one's praise and heart of gratitude and thanksgiving should spill over at a greater level than ours. 
And one of the great ways that thankful people express their gratitude is by generosity. And as we're generous, we even become more thankful and we identify even more with the agenda of God, who is the model of the greatest giver who ever gave. This Thanksgiving, let's let our blessings, let's remind ourselves of our blessings in our prayers of thankfulness and in our actions of giving. Will you stand and let's pray together. And so, Father, to help us to live out these truths that we see in your word, thank you for blessing us. There is no greater blessing than the joy of knowing Jesus and the, and the delight of being at the foot of the cross where we have newness of life, forgiveness of sin, where we're adopted into your family. We have the promise of heaven. And Father, we are your children. You've promised to care for us. We'll not doubt that care. And so would you help us to have hearts of gratitude this Thanksgiving in a whole new way. Would you help us to express it in a whole new way of living by being characterized as generous believers in Christ. Father, we commit the week ahead to you. We pray for safety for our hunters. We pray for all those who will be traveling. It's a big travel week. Would you please just cover our congregation and our community with safety that we would have no emergencies or dangers and that we would come back next Sunday to sing hymns of praise to you and to begin to prepare our hearts for the Advent season and the reminder that you are the greatest giver in giving the Lord Jesus Christ to be born of Mary so long ago that has transformed our lives. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.